Welcome to the inaugural man-made podcast. I'm your, what am I? I'm your host. I don't want to be a host. Coach? Yeah, sure as hell don't want to be a coach. Like what, what, what am I? Like what should I, what about a shaman? Shaman, I like that. I am that. your shaman. <laughs> yes. That is. That's great. Hello. I'm Shaman Jeff. Google that and see what, like, can I just call uh, myself Shaman or is there a, I think like can. a training program or something like that? No, it's good. Just then what about, me. like, what are you? Sidekick? sidekick. I like sidekick. Uh, partner in crime. How about that? Dude, <laughs> I wish that I didn't like that. <laughs> what about riding shotgun? Oh, no, yeah. fuck that. I should be riding shotgun. All right, That's perfect. Right. That's it. All right. Welcome to the Man Made Podcast. I'm Jeff Stuckey, riding shotgun. And as always, the man who has his hands on the wheel, Greg Allen. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeff. I can see my knuckles are getting white now that you started talking, but yeah, right. <laughs> go ahead. That's why your hands are on the wheel, my friend. Yeah. Very good. All right. So what do you get when you combine a psychotherapist and literally a rocket scientist? Well, guess what? We don't have a fucking clue, but along with you, we're about to find out. So here we go. Man-made emerged out of this kind of process. One, what was happening in Greg and I's friendship. The other was what I was experiencing with men in my private practice. And that emergence was, so what does it mean to be a good person? For me, that had always been in a religious context. And I don't know for you if being a good person was necessarily hinged to a religious context. Yeah, that's where it got the most uh, most weight. That's where I started to understand what I thought that meant. I don't know if I had, came to a full understanding, but it has to have some, some type of context. Right. And so then when I kind of went through the separation from a religious context and then it's like, well, am I a good person anymore? Like, do I, do I, is, is that even a possibility for me? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I started to notice, which had probably always been there, but I was, had just become more sensitive to this idea in working with men, again, in my private practice, was this idea that if I'm a good person, then I'm a religious person. If I want to do certain things, like, drink and cuss a little, or drink and cuss a lot in my case, either way, then I'm not a good person. And that may not sound like a significant issue, but it's a very significant issue. The significance is that at the bottom of any what we would talk about as kind of psychological distress is this notion of what we refer to as cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is kind of conflicting ideas. Mm -hmm. So that became obviously very interesting to me. Okay, there's more than just me that are struggling with this idea. But what was even more interesting is that it didn't create a tension in you and I's relationship. We both, even though I removed myself from a religious context, our values that brought us together around friendship held our friendship together. Right, right. We, we had a, a bond there that uh, wasn't influenced by some set of rules that each of us might choose to live by. It seemed like the friendship grew when we realized that we wanted to shed off the rules that were non-self-imposed, the, the ones that were external. And so it was easy enough to say, like in my life, well, these rules that, that I'm more or less being shaped by, 
Um, they're not something that is shaping Jeff right now. That didn't affect our connection. Right. And so we then decided that we wanted to create a space where people who really aspired to be good men in particular, mm-hmm. that's we are men and that's where my experience has been, that they could just want to pursue a common concept of being a good person. And if it were in a religious context, great. If it's not in a religious context, that's fine. But let's all endeavor together around this certain value system. And that's what man-made is, that space where we can start to define this together. And so a little bit more about cognitive dissonance, because it's it's just such an important concept in my field, because conflicts in thinking really fragment our identity. And so this would be an example of that, right? I want to be a good person, but a good person likes to go to church. A good person prays daily. A good person is mindful of their language. A good person, those kind of, you know, a certain kind of unwritten rule book. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the bad thing is we don't know where those influences are coming from. And we have to stop and think, did it matter if I said that word or had that drink or did whatever action or whatever behavior? Did that really pull me away from being a good guy? And I think the key to man-made was being able to stop and sort that out. It's not like the answer is there, but rather the question is what we need to focus on. Right. And then clinically, it has such an incredible impact because what happens is it starts to create this notion of an imposter complex, which most of us struggle with in some form or fashion in our lives. But then you start to see in these men that really want to be a good guys, but would rather play golf on Sunday morning or just not have that religious component, but then they feel like an imposter. And then they're constantly stuck in this stress of not being good enough. The ripple effect that in their lives and with psychiatric symptoms, depression, anxiety, those kinds of things were really significant. What's really important about that, given just kind of the country that we live in that has such a strong religious orientation, one of the things that we know that's happening is people are leaving the church in droves. But when people are asked, do you believe in God? 95% of people say yes. There is a strong correlation between attending religious activity and belief in God. So when we start to see a decline in people attending religious activities, but we start to see that People still feel like they have to report things a certain way. We call that the halo effect. It's kind of like, you know, when you go see, well, not you. When I go (laughs) see uh, my GP and it asks me how many drinks I have per week, well, I ain't fucking telling truth on that, right? It's occasionally every time. I mean, so that's the, that's. The halo effect of, well, it's really one way, but I have to report it this way, and then that produces that imposter effect. I'm not who I say that I am. And that seems like such a struggle. I mean, how do you get up? It's hard enough to face the day when you think you know what's going on, but when you know that what you're putting out there is not what's on the inside or you just can't make them fit right, it seems like that would really mess a guy up. Well, it does, and it creates disease. And you have to break that apart, right? Dis-ease. And that's exactly what it does. It creates this sense of dis-ease. 
And so that's what we want this conversation to be, is a place where we can start to relieve that dis-ease. Hey, I just want to be man-made. I want to be a great husband to my spouse. I want to be somebody that is attractive to my kids, but also impacts them in a legacy sort of way. I want to make significant contributions to my community. But if I'm caught in that cognitive dissonance, then I'm constantly thinking, who am I to do those good things? And that's the tension that we hope to resolve. And I'm so glad you brought that up because we're not saying it's a free-for-all. We're not saying we're going to shed all the rules and you get to do what you want. You need to decide who you want to be and how you want to do life, so to speak, and then choose those guidelines or restrictions that support that. Yeah. If you want to be a shitty person, this is the wrong podcast for you. I'm sure there's one out there that says shitty people who do shitty things and here's how to do more shitty things. But this is more for the person that feels like I can't be the person that does the good things. And that's the dis-ease that we want to resolve. In today's podcast, the dis-ease that we want to solve is the dis-ease of love. And it's no coincidence that we're releasing it on Valentine's Day because dun, 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 Valentine's Day is bullshit. And so today we are going to coach you. Wait, what does a shaman do? He doesn't coach. Enlighten? Is that? Oh, I love enlighten. Yeah, let's go with that. So today we will enlighten you on how not to step in the shit. I'll try and keep this on the road. I'm going to go on one of my rants, so you may want to, like, tighten your grip. Okay. <laughs> okay. So and be ready to, like, give me the look that you just said something that you shouldn't have said, because here, here goes a little bit of the freelance. Okay. Okay. But, but here's my bitch about love. So at the core of capitalism, right, is one single question. How the fuck can we monetize that? Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, something is valuable if we can make money off of it, but it isn't valuable in terms of if we cannot make money on it. But when you think about the concept of love, what have they done to Christmas? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That shit goes on like day after Halloween. Like, I can't sustain Christmas joy for two freaking months. You think about weddings. The amount of money that goes into and then what that says about love. And then, of course, you know, the granddaddy of them all, Valentine's Day. This is mostly a true conversation. I've embellished it a little bit to say how I feel, but this is like... I've had this conversation a hundred times. No, a thousand times. Somebody will call me and say, do you do premarital counseling, right? And I'll say, yeah, I do premarital counseling. And of course, what's the first thing they say? You wonder how much it is. How much does it cost, right? And I say, it's $225 a session. And they say, of course, wow, that's expensive. And how long will that take? And I will say, how fucked up is your relationship? And they'll say, What? And I will say, have you ever tried to be in a committed relationship with somebody for the rest of your life? No. Okay, so you don't know how fucked up your relationship is, and you've never done this before. I'd go ahead and plan on a lot of sessions. And then they will say, was insurance going to cover this? And I will say, I don't know. 
Is insurance going to cover your fucking honeymoon? You're about to drop 50 grand, and that's probably a conservative estimate, on a 45-minute ceremony and then on a honeymoon, and you're bitching to me about my fees. Call me back and let me know how that works out for you. And that's just a, a perfect example of what we have become and kind of this monetization of love. Mm -hmm. Love becomes this thing. It's just, you know, it's not like this relational experience. It just becomes this commodity that we pay for. And there's a philosopher, and I hope no one checks me on this because I think I'm going to butcher his name, but um, I'll try to say it in a sophisticated shaman sort of way. His name is Jan Del Aglio. And he, in, in one of his, what I would say, one of his great works, he asked the question, what is love? And he kind of postures that around. We say, good night, honey. I love you. And then we say, I fucking love the cheese. I love you, my homie. And it's like, wait, what? What in the, that at, on a good day, that's confusing. One of the things that you and I talk about and will talk about a lot and what we alluded to in our tease is that the American Psychological Association has done a significant amount of research on conflicts that men are in. Mm -hmm. One of those conflicts is our difficulty feeling, one, what we call vulnerable emotions, to expressing those vulnerable emotions. So we as men have this kind of both sides of this. It's like, really, what is love? Because I, I do love the chiefs <laughs> and I do love my wife. Is a wait, what, what's the differentiator there? But then we're socialized to not do vulnerable emotions, which are the emotions of sadness, fear, self-doubt. But the biggie is the emotion of love. And so now we're socialized in this way to where we don't understand love and we're not equipped or comfortable feeling it. It's not only that we don't understand it, we don't even know how to express it if we did have a grip on it. Right. And so in this monetization of love, the other aspect is that it creates what Delaglio calls seduction equity. So now love isn't the commitment that we make to each other. Love isn't being there for each other, those kinds of things. Love is what we can buy for each other to make each other feel good. And so then the idea becomes that love is gratification. Love makes me feel good. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because because that's what as capitalism has hijacked our concept of love. And now you, you know, you buy me a diamond, you take me on a trip, you take, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's like, oh, well, love is supposed to always make me feel good. So then this idea of seduction equity puts us in a place where we are constantly trying to be good enough. Right. So everybody else is increasing their seduction equity, right? Yeah. So I've got to keep my equity up so that I keep my partner's interest. And we're not really conscious of these dynamics, but it's that distress that we constantly feel. So it's not really a sellout that says, well, I don't want to show you the deepness of how I feel. 
partially because I don't know how, but I'm just going to go to this easy route and say, well, here's some flowers. Here's a diamond. Here's a new car. What I mean, it's just, it seems like the easy route or maybe something kind of shallow. You're saying we're not really choosing that. It's just kind of a default because we don't know how to do it in a deeper sense. Yeah. And we have been subconsciously conditioned for that. Oh, right. Right. right? And so this is where capitalism like really, really fucks us over. So we're now under the pressure to buy the right thing. But as you said, that has a lot of problems with it because there is no right thing because the game is rigged because now I'm going to buy something that anybody could buy. Yeah. yeah. So there's no real authenticity in it. Mm-hmm. So any pleasure that it might give, it's so fleeting. But here's the most significant issue. Because I'm socialized not to feel vulnerable emotions. So I can't even go into that space where the love for my partner exists. So then the only thing that I can do is use her happiness or unhappiness as an indicator. Yeah, yeah. And so now I'm completely dependent on this process that says, okay, you've got to be good enough and you've got to go buy the right thing. The other piece of that is, right, so she's been conditioned the same way. Well, if he really loves me, then he'll buy the right thing. But then again, when you go out into a market and you buy something that anybody else can buy, there's there's an upside to it like, oh, look, I got a bunch of shit. But because it's so mass-produced and inauthentic, that pleasure is momentary. Yeah. And then the whole process of seduction equity kicks back in. So on a good day, even if I buy her the right thing, the best response I'm probably going to get is, oh, that's nice, honey. And it's like, you're fucking kidding me. (laughs) I just spent two fucking hours at Walmart where they have exactly 7 billion cards. And I sweat through my underwear trying to pick the right card. And you said, that's nice, honey. Now. I can't get mad because I want to have sex with her. So my choice then is to walk away again in that sense of not good enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's my rant on love. I think it's right, but you're driving, and I noticed you were kind of white-knuckled during my rant. (laughs) Did did I get it? Did did we run off the road any? How did we do there? No, that's that's great. It does uh, pull back the curtain a little and then make us want to step into those vulnerable spaces because otherwise we're left living on the edge in the sense that it's it's shallow and plastic, if you will. It's like, where where's the realness? Gosh, it's so much easier just to say, well, let's just move along like this, you know, and if you don't say anything, I won't say anything. But that just won't allow us to get to that deep relationship. Right. And then we're constantly stuck in that cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. You know, that imposter complex. I want to be a good husband, but I miss the mark again. And then I try harder. And it just becomes that achievement treadmill that we'll talk more about later that we just constantly feel the strain of. Yeah. And it puts the, the onus on your spouse to give you the feedback. It's like, was this good or not? You know, and that's unfair to them. Yeah, it's unfair to them, but it sure is fuck unfair to me. <laughs> okay, and you you invested the money. <laughs> Two hours in Walmart, man. <laughs> yeah. And then that card, like, you know, I don't know, like $7 for a card? It wasn't that good. <laughs> anyway, so how do we solve this, man? What do you do? We got to think through this, and we got to decide how we want to handle our relationships. And the biggest part is to be assertive about taking those steps. But 
I don't know anything about that. So well, tell. we do have a reference point, okay, and it's a it's a wonderful reference point, and that reference point is when we fell in love. And this is a I would say a beautiful work of evolution. You would say God's design. Either way, okay. you know, it works. different means to the same end. I don't fucking care. When you fall in love, your brain is primed with a chemical called dopamine, and dopamine is awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Uh, it's responsible for runner's high and just it, it, almost a feeling of invincibility. Mm-hmm. And so when we fall in love, that dopamine that makes us feel bulletproof, that's when we'll do all that stupid shit for the woman that we love because she means that much to us. And so we're primed with that and we'll do something stupid and we'll, and we don't even care. She may be like, that's dumb. And it's like, I don't care. I'm (laughs) fucking high as a kite. Like, whatever, I'll try something else. And it's like this, it just catapults us out of that social, socialized part that won't allow us to access those vulnerable feelings. Mm -hmm. It's our true selves. Yeah. High as a fucking kite, but it is <laughs> our true self. Yeah. That so we have that reference point that we will take the risk, we will explore, we will do the goofy thing or not goofy or I don't know because I'm so fucking in love with you, I'm willing to try anything. So we've been there. We've been there. Yeah. So we know how we got there and we know how it felt when we were there. How do we recreate that? What's well, a great point? You have to go to therapy. Uh <laughs> StuckyCounseling.com. Okay, all right. Um, It is expensive, but it will get you laid. So, um, StuckyCounseling.com. All right, back on the road. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Here's what you do, okay? okay? Now, that part of us, right, that exterior shell that keeps us from accessing those vulnerable emotions is necessary, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just get your feelings hurt all the time because life's really fucking hard and it's not fair. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm constantly getting hurt by that, then I'm essentially going to be non-functional, right? So it has a purpose. It just is incomplete. And so now, because we are grown-ass men, it's time for us to find that part of us to access that. Now, when we do that, we will necessarily encounter significant psychological resistance because we've already been conditioned not to feel it, right? right. And so our brain is designed to keep us alive, and you lived through yesterday, right? So Mm -hmm. your brain's going to say, do the same shit tomorrow. That's why lottery winners burn through their money, Mm -hmm. right? So they've lived their entire lives without this just huge influx of cash, and all of a the sudden they get it. On the surface, seems like a wonderful thing, but the brain says, whoa, that's not <laughs> what you're supposed to be doing. Burn all that on a whole bunch of stupid shit. Mm-hmm. And then we all sit back in judgment as if our brains wouldn't do the same thing, <laughs> except right. I would put mine in a safe and probably give you control of it. <laughs> but as we start to go there, my brain is going to say, this is silly. This is stupid. This is nonsense. If my brain's just going to start giving me excuses to get me back into that other aspect of my identity where I'm not pursuing or exploring 
vulnerable emotions. And so when you're doing that, and Valentine's Day gives us an opportunity for that, and there's many more which we will talk about, but write the fucking poem, okay? I'm not a poet. I don't even know if you read a poem to me and didn't tell me it was a poem, (laughs) I couldn't say, oh, that was a poem. I don't know what haiku is, any of that. But write your poem. Dance. Dance with an overbite. Whatever. (laughs) Do that awkward, uncomfortable thing. Paint a picture. Do whatever it is. But reach inside the authenticity the authenticity, it's just authenticity. Say the fucking word. Reach inside the authenticity that lies only within you. Now, it sounds like woo-woo bullshit, right? Because your brain's already saying, oh, dude, you had me for a little bit when you said I might get laid. But this woo-woo, like, that's what the brain's going to do. Take that risk. Do that thing that dopamine allowed you to do. Now, Do it realistically, right? Because she's probably expecting like this grandiose bullshit, like 15 dozen roses and chocolate, whatever. Don't give her that stuff, even if she's expecting it. Give her that authentic piece of you. Do the silly thing. Use that reference point of when you fell in love with her. Now, remember, you were high as a fucking kite, so it was easy then, but it's not easy now because we're, we're capturing that part of ourselves that we've not been conditioned to explore. So it's, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel silly. It's going to feel stupid. And there may be a part of you that even says, you know, well, she's not going to like this. I mean, that's very possible. Yeah, and that's the other key point. This is not going to be met with open arms. You know, she's been conditioned to want something a certain way. And when we say, no, we're, we're going to fight in ourselves to expose this vulnerable part and make this connection. I mean, she may love it. She may not get it. But I just can't see that that's just going to happen automatic. I, I'm thinking we have to be prepared to be vulnerable. And then if it looks like it bombs, we just walk away and try again. Then allow her to experience it however she needs to, to grow to a new level. Well, and here's the good thing, right? We already know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again. So I know when I buy her the chocolate or the whatever it is, the best I'm going to get is, oh, that's nice, honey, right? Right? Because there's that lack of authenticity there that she doesn't even know that's why she's disappointed. Right. So your, your point is spot on. There is kind of a reconditioning process here, almost kind of like Pavlovian training the dogs to salivate. Mm -hmm. And... The other thing that we have to keep in mind is I never have control of her response. I never do. I mean, I may buy the exact right thing, and she might have had a super shitty day, and it's not fair to reiterate the point that you made earlier. It's not fair for her, if she had a bad day, to all of a sudden have to shift over into this, you're my hero, be fucking awesome, and I hope it does happen. (laughs) But we have to give from that authentic place, knowing that this is exactly what you need because I am giving you an authentic piece of me. It's new, but it is what we need to break out of that trap 
of seduction equity. I want to add there, though, as a sort of a, a corollary to allowing her to experience what she's feeling, is that it is on the man, I would say, to be assertive, to take that move, to say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be vulnerable and see how this happens. I'm not just going to let each year play out or even each day play out on some shallow level. I'm going to be assertive and make the first move. And then I'm also not going to react negatively if she's not on board with that yet. Yeah, and I and that's one of the things when when I'm working with couples, but also working with men in in both contexts. If I if I buy my wife flowers with the expectation that it's going to make her happy. That's not love, that's selfishness. Mm. Because I'm bringing you something with a string attached. Yeah. I brought you these flowers and so you should think that I'm awesome. It's fine to want that, but if that's all I want, and I use this example with my clients, if my if I give my wife flowers and she says to me, oh, you know what? Our neighbor had a terrible day, and I think bringing her these flowers, it would really be meaningful to her. My first thought is, you bitch, <laughs> I'm the problem because I came with a selfish expectation. I didn't come giving my love freely to you and letting you do with that love that made you feel fulfilled. If you need to beat me over the head with them, not what I was hoping for. I was hoping (laughs) for the hero get laid version. But if that's what you need to do, if that's what you need to do right now, because I love you and because I'm giving you this authentic part of myself, I can receive it. And when we give from that place without that sense of expectation, then we can be fulfilled. Wow, that's really key, the, the not going into it with the expectation that you get something in return. You're just saying, here's me, I'm open, I want to show you that I love you, and then just let that play out. Yeah, and it sucks. I mean, it sucks. It's dangerous. It's, <laughs> it would be so much better that if our <laughs> expressions of love came with a guarantee that... Yeah. Oh my God, you are my hero, and I can't wait to get my hands all over you. <laughs> that would be a cool game if that game existed. <laughs> Unfortunately, it does not exist. But yeah. when we give from that authentic place, Valentine's Day is bullshit, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs>